Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death. This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi there, I'm Christina. And I'm Crystal. Welcome Welcome to to Crime Crime Night. Night. Tonight's episode is about Angela Hammond. Angela Marie Hammond, or Angie for short, was born on February 9th, 1971, to Chris and Marcia Hammond, and they lived in Kansas City, Missouri until she was four years old. The family ended up relocating to Clinton, Missouri, which is a small rural town of a population right around 9,000 people, and it was located about an hour and a half south of Kansas City, Missouri. It was a tight-knit community where everybody knew each other, and they were kind of like a blue-collar working class um, town where they worked in factory work and farming, and everybody kind of supported the local businesses. Marcia's parents, Lloyd and Elizabeth, lived in Clinton, Missouri as well, so that was part of the reason why they moved there. After moving to Clinton, Angela's younger brother, Lauren, was born, and eventually Chris and Marcia did get a divorce, um, but they did share custody of the children, and they always uh, put the children first. So they made sure that the kids had, you know, a happy, stable upbringing, despite the fact that their parents uh, were divorced. After the divorce, Marcia did move to Montrose in Missouri, and then Chris moved to Olathe in Kansas. Um, he did end up later remarrying. Angela continued to spend time in Clinton, Missouri. Um, where she would hang out with her friends, and eventually she did move back to Clinton, Missouri. Her best friend was Kyla Ingeman. She described Angela as being a very intelligent woman, and she knew how to have fun wherever she went, and she was always fun to be around, and there was never a dull moment. She was very energetic and had positive energy that beamed off of her, and it made people want to be around her. She was also very well, well-liked and, and very popular girl. In November of 1990, when Angela was 19 years old, she met 18-year-old Rob Schaefer, who is a high school star athlete at the time with a desire to join the military. Um, eventually, they did fall in love. And in January of 1991, two months after they had started dating, Angela did find out that she was pregnant. Rob proposed to Angela and she accepted the proposal. They, After the proposal, they did move into a trailer and Rob was still determined to join the military uh, that summer after graduating high school. At that time, Angela was working as a night processor at Union State Bank and she was also attending a Central Missouri State University, which was about a half hour away from where they were living. On April 4th, 1991, Angela and Rob attended a barbecue at Angela's mom's house. They left shortly after 9 p.m. as Rob had to go to his mom's house to babysit his younger brother. While Rob was babysitting his brother, Angela went with her best friend, Kyla, and they were just driving around, just hanging out until about 11.15, at which point Angela was tired. She just wanted to go home, take a bath, and get some sleep. So Kyla dropped her off. After Kyla dropped her off, she ended up driving down to the local food barn and used the payphone that they had at the corner there. 
The payphone was actually located on the corner of 210 South 2nd Street, which is now a Shell's restaurant. While she was on the phone with Rob, she noticed a truck driving around. This kind of made Angela feel very uncomfortable. At this point, Angela started describing um, the truck and the driver to Rob. She said the truck was a late 60s, early 70s green Ford 150 pickup with a white top. It also had a front left fender damage as well as a like a sticker on the back window of a fish, specifically a bass jumping out of water. And it was quite large and took up a good chunk of the back window. She also describes the man driving it as being scruffy, having a full beard. He also had like dirty, greasy, long hair and was wearing overalls and a dark cap. While they were still on the phone, the man pulled up to where Angela was, parked his vehicle, got out, walked over to the payphone right next to where she was at, and immediately turned around and walked back to his truck. He got out a flashlight and started searching inside his truck as if he was looking for something. And then apparently he couldn't find what he was looking for, so he went back towards the payphone with the flashlight in hand, still searching for something. At that point, Angela thought this was kind of bizarre. Maybe that phone wasn't working or he dropped something. So she nicely leaned out and asked him if he needed to use the payphone. And he kindly replied, no. At about 11.45, so a half hour into their phone call, Angela let out a scream before dropping the phone. At this point, Rob heard a man's voice say i didn't need to use the phone anyway at this point the phone went dead in a panic rob quickly hung up and got in his uh, car and drove to where angela was at the payphone while he was on his way there he did see the truck that she had described going in the opposite direction of him so he um, slammed his car into reverse before doing a U-turn and started following them. He followed them for about two miles, at which point his transmission died and he could no longer um, drive. The truck just kind of stopped working at this point. So he actually got out and started chasing after Angela on foot. The payphone and Rob's mom's house were only seven blocks away from each other. So it seems kind of odd that they spent a half hour on the phone talking with each other when he was that close. Why didn't she just drive over to his mom's house and have the conversation there? Or when they were on the, she was on the payphone and the guy came and parked next to her and got out and started using the payphone. Why didn't she just leave? And because and, if she felt kind of creeped out by him, I just would have thought she would have left and, and maybe either went home or better yet, go to where Rob was at. So there was somebody else and she wasn't alone. Well, she probably wasn't planning on being on the phone for very long. She was just going to tell him that, you know, she was tired and wasn't going to meet up with him. And obviously they continued to talk, but I agree at the point where this man was creeping her out. Mm -hmm. I would have just been like, you know, what? Um, I'll call you later and get in the car and either go to where he is or go home. I'd probably go there because I wouldn't want to go home alone and have somebody follow me and 
not have anybody there. That would be terrifying. Especially after he was giving her the the creeps and, mm-hmm. and to the point where she actually described him yeah. on the phone. Like, if can you imagine if you're describing oh. someone on the phone? Like, you're obviously very creeped out. Right, and they live in a small town. So you gotta think, you see a truck driving around in the small town. Now, everybody pretty much knows each other, I would think, at at this point. Or you've seen vehicles. Yeah, so you recognize some of the vehicles that typically drive around. And something with this big bass sticker on the back, you would think they would, that would be a recognizable (laughs) vehicle. So she would have probably recognized it if she had seen it driving around before. Yeah, and I mean, that was a common truck at that time well i'm not gonna say necessarily at that time frame but back in the 70s or what have you whenever it was made that was a very common truck and a very common color but this is you know 20 years later and mm-hmm. it just kind of stands out and pretty noticeable oh well this was a blue collar town so it probably had lots of older yeah, vehicles so it probably didn't really stand out that much but yeah well, but you would think like a truck of like a certain color with certain stickers like when you see like stickers out of windows, they typically tend to be different from other people. It's mm-hmm. more of a unique thing. So it's something you would probably kind of remember because mm-hmm. it would be something that stuck out. True. Rob ended up flagging down a vehicle, hoping that this vehicle would help in the chase of the, of Angela. However, the person that picked him up, it was a lady and she didn't want to get involved in on it. So she just took him and dropped him off at the police station. I don't blame her because oh, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know if you what happens when you catch up to the truck. You don't know if he has, that person has a weapon on him. Like what? What if he has a gun and you guys don't have a gun? Then all three of you are dead. You know, right? And you just never know. So it's probably safer to go to the police station. And she doesn't know Rob either. I mean, she just yeah, he too. flagged her down and he got in her vehicle mm-hmm. and now he's saying go chase this other vehicle for me yeah i would mm-hmm. i would be suspicious mm-hmm. i'd be like you know what? yeah i'll take you mm-hmm. to the police station but that's about it luckily that she stopped and picked them up even because yeah. well, it was the 90s so it was yeah so, i mean it was more common then yeah it wasn't as dangerous as nowadays mm-hmm. to let somebody in your car so she ended up dropping rob off at the police station and this at this point was shortly after midnight as he went into the, the police station, he, he wanted to report, you know, this incident. So he described to the policeman um, the situation in detail of what Angela was describing to him, what's going on at the time. And then he was describing the, the chase and following the vehicle and how his car ended up stalling on the side of the road. And it just seemed a little, little fishy to them. They didn't really want to believe him at first. So um, Rob, you know, gave them the description of everything that happened as well as the truck and the man, uh, according to what Angela had told him. At that point, the police decided to question him because they just felt very suspicious about what happened, about his transmission running out at that exact moment. Um, So rather than, you know, sending somebody to look for Angela, they did question him, which I think that they should have at least sent somebody, you know, just in case. And, you know, this is a police station in a small town, so they aren't used to dealing with this. So they weren't really equipped Mm -hmm. to deal with a kidnapping. I'm sure, you know, 9,000 people kidnappings probably aren't very common there. And and it's after midnight at this point, too. Yes. So, you know, so 
I understand that, but you would think they would at least just put it like a APB or something out so that, you know, at least the police that are out and about could, you know, kind of look for it or go over in that area and check it out at, at the very least. Um, right. But Or they could have called them and said, hey, have you noticed a truck driving around? Yeah. A green Ford pickup truck and, and seeing, you know, maybe somebody did see it. One of the cops may have seen it or they could have at least, as you said, been aware of it then at this point yeah, and maybe just... been on the lookout for it. Mm -hmm. So the police didn't believe Rob um, until they end up finding his car, that his car actually broke down at this very particular moment in time. Um, and then they did find Angela's car still in the parking lot where she left it right by the payphone. Angela's purse was still in the car as if she was maybe just going to make a quick phone call and then head back home like she intended on probably doing. Because if you're going to be, you know, going somewhere, you're not going to leave your purse in the car if you're going to be leaving it for an extended amount of time. Like, she was probably within view of her car, felt comfortable leaving her purse there for a short amount of time in a small town. There's usually not that much crime. So... Or traffic at that time of the night. Yeah, so she probably felt... Mm -hmm you know, like she could go make a phone call and leave her purse there, but I doubt she would have still left her purse there if she was, if somebody had picked her up and she had went with them or, you know, anything like that. Like, or if she was, you know, she wasn't in the store at that time, probably. At this point, Detective Damon Parsons from the Clinton Police Department did notify Marsha of, you know, what had happened. And she was obviously very distraught. Her daughter her only daughter who was pregnant you know has just been kidnapped and of course she contacted you know Angela's father Chris immediately and he drove down to Clinton where he stayed there for you know several weeks to help you know assist in searching for her. Rob remained the prime suspect for the next several weeks until he ended up passing a polygraph test and also Two witnesses came forward collaborating the story of the truck um, that they saw driving around town. And they described the, the truck to the police, which ended up being the same truck that uh, Angela was describing to Rob. With the information that Rob and the two witnesses gave the police, they decided to start a full investigation. And at this point, Sherry had been missing by it you know, a couple weeks. The investigators spent months looking for this truck and by the end of it, they were no further along than they had been at the very beginning of the investigation, despite having spent months on it. And the police started to wonder if maybe Rob and the witnesses possibly described the truck wrong. Like maybe they gave the wrong color as it was, you know, dark. It was, this was around midnight, so the lighting might like if the lighting wasn't the best the color you know could look different in the dark than it does during the day they also were concerned that maybe the plates weren't missouri plates as they had previously believed um but unfortunately they couldn't they didn't have the numbers on the plates because it was the truck had been muddy some of the numbers had been covered up by you know, the mud that had been all over the truck. So this is, you know, rural town. So it's probably common for trucks to, you know, be muddy and to have, you know, mud on your vehicles. So they couldn't see the, they weren't able to get the license plates from the truck. 
and B, police started actually believing that maybe it didn't belong to somebody in um, Missouri and maybe it was from, you know, a different area. Police continued to gather information from family and friends and they turned to the focus of an ex-boyfriend by the name of Billy Barker. Billy was 17 years old at the time of Angela's abduction. And there was rumors going around that he was actually the father of Angela's baby, not Rob. Um, but there was no way to really prove this and Billy denied it. So they ended up believing that he was not the father, that it was actually Rob's baby. So Billy ended up being dismissed as being a suspect in Angela's kidnapping. So they ended up doing a search where they put like flyers and posters throughout the area at like popular businesses, um, stores, restaurants, truck stops, anywhere they think someone who may have seen Angela would have would be able to see the posters. They also had over 250 volunteers, um, including family, friends, and members of the police force to, you know, search the area. They did air and ground searches in the Clinton area and they also searched in water wells, creek beds, um, the isolated roads, barns, woods, fields, abandoned buildings, anywhere they could think of where somebody either could have been hiding or they could be hiding her at if, you know, she was ended up being murdered, you know, somewhere where they may have left her body, um, just common places that they would typically find somebody who went missing and they ended up not finding anything so nothing actually ended up coming of that search. 11 days after the search started the Clinton Police Department contacted the Missouri Rural Crime Scene Squad for help. Um, as a result 25 officers in 15 neighboring counties ended up offering assistance in the search for Angela. Uh, the Missouri Highway Patrol also looked through their database of all registered vehicles that kind of matched the description of what was given to them. There was approximately 1,600 trucks that potentially matched the description that was given to the police department by Rob and the two witnesses. Um, however, in searching, nothing came of this either. Many months went by and they were still, you know, no closer to solving you know, this kidnapping, they didn't have any more clues or suspects. Um, so they actually ended up started looking into the possibility of a serial killer being on the loose in Missouri, um, as there were a couple of deaths that happened prior that they thought might be linked to Angela's kidnapping. The um, two cases that stood out that could possibly be related to the disappearance of Angela. One of the cases was of 42-year-old Trudy Darby um, that was murdered on the evening of January 19, 1991, after she noticed three after she noticed three men hanging around the convenience store where she had worked in at Max Creek. Also was the case of 30-year-old Cheryl and Kenny who had disappeared after closing once again a convenience store in Nevada, Missouri. Um, all the all three women, Trudy, Cheryl, and Angela were taken from parking lots um, late at night. So they thought that, you know, there's possibly a connection there um, because of the similarities. 
in the summer of 1994, the case of Trudy Darby was actually solved. One of the murders was Jesse Rush, who had wrote letters to a gentleman that he had befriended while he was in jail, confessing to committing other murders as well. Investigators believe that the disappearance of Cheryl and Angela had been committed by the same person. However, they were unable to prove this. In October of 1991, another possible lead came when a man by the name of Russell Smith, who had been living in Manitoba, Canada at the time, was actually visiting family in Uruk, Missouri, when he saw the missing poster for Angela. Um, once he saw this poster, he did uh, have a recollection of um, something that he had seen about a month prior in Manitoba in November. So he had actually seen a woman that was similar to Angela getting inside of a pickup truck, a green pickup truck that kind of matched a similar description to the one that Angela's kidnappers had drove. The Clinton police chief, Bill Pattison, followed up on this accusation. He contacted Sergeant Bob McQuarrie of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And as Angela had been pregnant at the time of the abduction, Sergeant McQuarrie reached out to local hospitals and baby stores to see that maybe she had delivered the baby and been, you know, in the area, had to buy formula diapers and stuff like that for a baby. So they kind of reached out to those types of, of facilities to see if anything came of her, which it did not. Over the years, there have been many possible sightings as well as tips. Um, they had over 600 leads, but nothing ever came from any of those. Angela's disappearance has been aired on multiple TV shows, including the December 1991 episode on Unsolved Mysteries. And Angela's family still has faith that she is going to be found and brought back home. Uh, Rob also struggled with Angela's disappearance for um, a good while after, you know, it happened. And he actually ended up joining the National Guard before eventually starting a family. Um, he is still in contact with Angela's family today. And they still, you know, talk about it. And, you know, they're still hopeful that... You know, she will come home. There's no, you know, evidence that, you know, she was murdered or anything happened to her that would, would prove that she's not alive today. Um, so it is still, you know, there's been plenty of cases that where people have been kidnapped and show up years and years later. So it's always a possibility, yeah. even though it's been, you know, 30 years. Um, so. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully one day she'll. Come back around. Here we are 30 years after the disappearance of Angela and there is a new theory that has arose. Um, the new theory is that it possibly may be, it may possibly be a case of mistaken identity. They believe that the Angela that was abducted was actually the wrong Angela, that the target was a different Angela that lived in the town at the same time. So there was two Angelas that lived in Clinton, Missouri, and they actually resembled each other. So this is kind of where they're they're coming up with this new theory. At the time of Angela's disappearance, there was an informant that testified in court against members of an illegal drug operation. 
Um, that informant whose name has not been released due to privacy and security reasons um, had a daughter who was also named Angela and had actually received a letter that was postmarked the same day that uh, Angela Hammond had disappeared on April 4th, 1991. And the letter was actually made up of like um, pieced together like magazine or newspaper letters, you know, like your typical cut and paste. Like, yeah, cut and paste kidnapping letter. The name of the informant had actually been is redacted for privacy reasons, but it would read, hello, informant. We know who you are, informant. People like you deserve what you get. We know where your foxy daughter is at. She will see us soon. Tell informant's wife. She has our, our deepest sympathy in her further loss. Goodbye, informant. It is now believed that the kidnapping of Angela was actually just a mistaken identity and that the informant's daughter would have been the one that should have been kidnapped that night. The Clinton police seems to think that the theory holds weight as they have credible information uh, pointing to this possible mistaken identity. Police are still looking for an anonymous caller who had left a voicemail for a tip with two specific names mentioned, but never gave like a return call information. So they are still, you know, looking for whoever left that voicemail so they could get uh, more information on the tip that was left. I was wondering, could they not retrace that call? Oh, it's a recording. It is from the 90s. Well, no, the, now they have the phone call now. It's in the 30 years later current. Oh. So they would have had that. Couldn't they well, figure it, out how it to? It could have come from like a burner phone yeah, or that's true. a pay that. phone. Or... Yeah, that's true. Like something like that. As the police are still looking for Angela today, there is a description of her. Um, It's Angela Marie Hammond. She is Caucasian female. She'd be 50 years old now in 2021. And at the time of her disappearance, she was 20, which was in 1991. Uh, she was four foot 11 and weighed approximately 140 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She had brown hair, brown eyes. She had a scar on her upper lip. She was wearing a white button shirt with black spots, black pants, and white sneakers. If you have any information regarding Angela's disappearance, please call the Clinton Police Investigators at 660-885-5561 or 660-885-2679. You could also send an email to tips at clintonmopd.com. You can also give any information to Crime Stoppers anonymously by calling one 800 222 tips. That is 1-800-222-8477 or submit a tip online on their website at www.crimestoppersusa.org forward slash contact forward slash submit hyphen a hyphen tip. All contact information we mentioned in this podcast will be put in the description of the episode. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. You can find our sources on our website listed in the podcast description. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast.
please join us every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. Good night. Good night.